0: Utah has been great with our energy policy because we're going at this with the right approach. All of the above sources and efficiency, reliability, safety, and dispatchability. Utah's measured all of the above
1: energy policy has powered decades of prosperity by providing some of the most reliable and affordable energy in the country. Recently, the Utah legislature has been applying common sense solutions to push back on federal regulatory overreach that threatens our ability to provide power to our state, fuel our economy, and maintain a high quality of life for the people of our state. Joining us today to discuss some of the challenges we are facing in our energy sector is the chair of the Public Utilities Energy and Technology Interim Committee, Representative Carl Albrecht. Representative, thanks so much for taking the time today. Good to be with you. So, Representative, what do you see as some of the greatest challenges we as a state are facing when it comes to our energy sector?
0: Well, I would say the federal regulations that are being passed on down to states as far as the regulations on fossil fuels, our coal generation and our natural gas generation. The EPA has come out with various proposed rules that affects our generation and then There's what they call the OTR, the ozone transport rule, which is commonly called the good neighbor rule. They said if you can't meet these guidelines on cleaning up ozone as the flume from the power plants goes east into the Denver metro area, then you're going to have to shut down your power plants by 2025. Well, that's only two years away. Can you imagine what the state of Utah would look like as far as energy supply if we shut down our coal plants and our gas plants? we would basically be in the dark. And so recently the ozone transfer rule was stayed, the legal term stayed, by the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals saying, well, EPA, you have no authority to do this. It was stayed for us in Oklahoma that joined with us. It'll be heard later on. There'll be evidence by both parties and so on and so forth. But That was a major, major win for Utah Utilities, and we know it's going to be a costly battle, but we have to preserve those plants until something better comes along. So let's talk
1: a little bit about those two components. So first off, Utah, we've had a pretty diverse energy portfolio over the last several decades, and like we mentioned, we have some of the cheapest and most affordable power in the entire country, and in large part due to a lot of our coal and natural gas generation. And so as things start to change more at the federal level, that has a disproportionate impact on Utah. Can you talk a little bit about what does our energy portfolio look like and how will those federal regulations really impact us and the consumer directly?
0: Sure. As as you mentioned, uh, most of our generation comes from carbon-based fuels, coal and natural gas. We do have some hydro in the state of Utah. There's some municipalities and cooperatives and Rocky Mountain even has some small hydro plants, but it's, it's a small percentage. We have some geothermal down in Beaver County, and that supplies a small amount as well. Frankly, I'd like to see geothermal become more of a fuel for generation because it's a 24 by 7 generation factor, whereas wind and solar, which we also have a small percentage of, is based on the conditions the wind generates only when the wind's blowing and the sun shines half the day, right? So until we get fuel cells, storage that are utility scale grade, we're in deep trouble because energy has to be, first of all, reliable and affordable, and that's what's driven Utah's economy, but it also has to be dispatchable. And dispatchable is the key word because energy is one of the few commodities, electricity is, that has to be there on demand as you flip the switch. And those power plants have to ramp up to meet the capacity or the load on the system at any, any particular time. And so if wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining, that's not dispatchable power. So we have to have something that's there 24-7. But right now, those are the basic sources. You know, it's coal, natural gas, hydro, geothermal, wind, solar, and in the future, hydrogen and, and also nuclear. So I do want to touch
1: on something that you mentioned here, that there might be a little bit of a misconception out in the public's eye that the legislature is not necessarily averse to transitioning to a lot more of these renewable type of energies. But it seems to be that the main point of contention is the speed at which we do those things. Exactly. As we continue to transition toward more reliable and renewable forms of power generation, that we need to make sure that we have the capacity to produce what we're taking offline when it comes to the coal and natural gas. And that seems to be the main hangup.
0: correct? You're exactly right. And if we don't have the exact amount that we're taking offline producing energy, because Utah is the fastest-growing state in the nation, a lot of people are moving in and, and a lot of businesses are starting up and so forth. So loads are growing for the utilities, both in urban and rural Utah, And so it's a matter of cost, like I said, reliability, affordability, and dispatchability. But if we're going to get away from carbon-based fuels, coal, and natural gas, then it has to be replaced by probably nuclear for the big share, right? Or if we go to wind and solar, then we have to have utility-scale battery storage, and that battery storage has to be something that can store electricity for a day or two or a week at a time, and then release it as the demand on the system occurs. And on nuclear, you've got two problems. You've got location considerations. A lot of people don't want nuclear close to their backyard, but these are small-scale nuclears, which Rocky Mountain Power is looking at in Emory County when they retire those power plants. But the other problem with nuclear is fuel source. prime example is President Biden in Arizona created a national monument which locked up some of the best uranium reserves in the whole United States. High-grade uranium ore, which would fuel the nuclear transition. So on one hand, the administration is saying, let's get away from fossil fuels. But on the other hand, they lock up fuels that would convert to nuclear. But I
1: do want to touch on something that you mentioned.
0: So it is important to note that as we continue forward
1: with this energy transition, that not all forms of energy are created equal. That even if you were to replace, you know, five megawatts worth of generation from coal or natural gas with five megawatts generation from wind or solar, that just because of the way that we generate those wind and solar, that does not necessarily mean that we are going to have that dispatchability to the same degree that we had with the reliability that coal and natural
0: gas produce. Is that correct? That's very correct. And you have to be able to ramp up those power plants as demand increases. And that's usually in the morning as people are getting up and getting ready to go to work and so forth. And in the evening, when they come home, they turn on the TV and other appliances to make dinner or whatever. Those are usually called the peaks on the power system. And it's similar all over. In St. George, you would have air conditioning full-time, practically, this time of year. And Rocky Mountain power peaks in the summertime because of the air conditioning load. Uh, You know, people have gone away from the old swamp coolers, and now it's all electric-supplied air conditioning. And so until we get battery storage to hold some of that wind and solar when it's available... Right now, most of the wind and solar in the state of Utah is sent to California because of the price range. The prices in California at a basic electric utility is, you know, in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 cents a kilowatt hour. Here in Utah, depending on the summer season or winter season, it's eight to 11 cents a kilowatt hour. So that's a great difference. And the wind and solar in the state of Utah that's generated goes on the transmission system is sent to California because it fits their price portfolio better than it does here. Mm -hmm. So what happens if you can't ramp up those energy production to meet demand in the moment? then unfortunately you would have brownouts on the system because electric systems, like I said, are built so that they can drop off load or demand on the system by different circuits and be able to serve other folks for a while. And so you have what they call rolling blackouts on the system. And so we really need to generate kilowatt hours per kilowatt hours. If we drop off generation, we need that same amount or more because of the growth that's taking place here in the state of Utah. And so what are some of the ways
1: that the legislature has safeguarded Utah's ability to provide safe, reliable, and dispatchable power?
0: Well, our our whole mantra, and I helped revise the energy policy two or three years ago, was that we have what we call the all of above energy policy. I mean, we'll take energy from any source as long as it's safe, reliable, affordable, and dispatchable. As you look around the country, some other states have not done that, and they've had real problems this summer in keeping the lights on and the air conditioners and so forth, and it's been miserable for some states. California and uh, some of the states in the Midwest, they've just shut down too many fossil-based plants to meet the demand, and that pressure is coming from the federal government to do that and it, it's creating a mixed bag of results for the folks that run the power grids in the various states across the nation. The state of energy in the United States right now is really scary and it's in flux. And we got to get it right because if we don't, people are going to suffer and we're going to lose that quality of life that we've had.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, there has been a lot of talk about nuclear power, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier. There currently are no nuclear power plants in operation in Utah. Do you see that changing in the foreseeable future? And if so, what does that look like for our state?
0: Yeah, I see it changing. It might be down the road a ways, but I think rather than the large nuclear-type plants that were once proposed down around Green River, that won't be the case. These will be small nuclear power plants that might replace the coal-based plants in Emory County or wherever there's a power plant like out in Uinta Basin, Deseret Power. There'll be a series of small nuclear plants to make up that generation. And a lot of it depends on costs. I mean, every utility does what they call an integrated resource plan, an IRP plan for the Public Service Commission to give them their best guess of what electric demand might be over the next three years and how they're going to meet that demand, what types of generation. So I'm in favor of small-scale nuclear, and it's carbon-free, but we've got to get it right. The price has to be right. The regulations have to be right. It has to be reliable and dispatchable. Mm-hmm. And critically, it does help match
1: that energy profile that we would be taking offline in that it's a predictable baseload energy power that can provide.
0: You've got it right. It's baseload 24 by 7. Mm -hmm.
1: That doesn't fluctuate with your weather conditions. And so can you talk a little bit about what are the advantages of doing small module nuclear reactors rather than one big nuclear power plant, as we have seen in decades past?
0: Well, the small ones, of course, are easier to license with the national regulatory authorities. We have what we call the Nuclear Energy Regulatory Commission, NERC. And it's just really hard now to get a huge nuclear plant built. Number one, they're a huge water consumption entity. And number two, the safety, people don't like that in their backyard. Number three, the licensing process is 10 to 20 years. It's almost unbearable as far as meeting future demands of electricity. So they've improved these small nuclear ones. There's sodium-based nuclear facilities that can reprocess existing waste fuels from some of these bigger plants, and that can be used and stored on site and not have to have a nuclear repository like the Yucca facility in Nevada that has never been licensed. So they're safer. They can use processed fuel and you can build a series of them to take care of the load that you're displacing. And so what does the future of energy in the state of Utah really look
1: like to you over the next five, 10, and even 30 years?
0: Well, I think the future is going to depend a lot on technology and costs and the development of battery storage, the right costs of what uh, nuclear and hydrogen-generated power might look like. Because you can't just come in and say, oh, we're going to build a hydrogen plant or a nuclear plant. What's the cost at the end of the day when it turns on, and what's the cost to the retail and commercial customers in the state of Utah? So that's the dilemma we're in. These power plants that we're using now, coal and gas, were built 35 years ago, and they've been well-maintained and they can operate for another 35 to 40 years because they're so well-maintained, but it all depends on federal regulations, state regulations, and, and we need to preserve, first of all, what we have. We have to preserve that existing generation, and we have to find a way to make policy as we go forward in the 24 legislative session to make it easier for these utilities to build something that makes sense, that's affordable for the customers in the state of Utah. And there are some bills by various legislators that will be run to do that. The other thing we have in the state of Utah is we have a great research center down in Emory County, the San Rafael Energy Research Center. And they're doing some great work on the future of coal and hydrogen and natural gas and taking those components that fuel some of these power plants and using them for other things that the country really needs, carbon fiber, graphite, and some of those critical minerals. So Utah has been great with our energy policy because we're going at this with the right approach, all of the above sources, and back to the efficiency, reliability, safety, and dispatchability mantra. Well, we look forward to seeing a lot of those bills come
1: forward and obviously with the legal battles that we are currently engaged in the feds, see how those shake out over the coming months and years. We sure do. Thank you so much. Representative, we thank you so much for taking the time today and look forward to the work that you're doing. Thank you.